Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed? A podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Fifth grader Amy Mahalovic went to Bay Village Middle School on Friday wearing green pants, a lavender and green sweatshirt, and carrying a denim and red backpack. Police found Amy's bike locked up at school, but they haven't found Amy. I've always taught them the rules. You never go with anyone anywhere, but that's how we got through her, through her soft heart. She wanted to do something for mom, and it was supposed to be kept a secret. Police describe the man as white, in his early 30s, about 5'9", of medium build, with dark hair, a bald spot in the back, and round glasses. One of Amy's friends reportedly told police that Amy said she was to meet someone who claimed to be a friend of the family to go buy her mother a surprise gift. It's been almost a week since her 10-year-old daughter was abducted by a man who looks like this. He reportedly told Amy he was a friend of the family and would take her to buy a gift for her mother. The FBI says her abductor may not even resemble these two composite drawings because they only came from the memories of two 10-year-old children. The body of a young female uh, found in Ashton County early Thursday uh, morning has been identified as uh, that of Amy Mahalovic, age 12, of Bay Village of Ohio. Amy's body was found in Ashland County near the Huron County line. That's well to the southwest of the community of Bay Village. There's uh, frustration because the uh, murder hasn't been found. There's a lot of anger over that too. The halls were noticeably quieter, a sign the students have learned a disturbing lesson about life and the tragedy it sometimes holds. It is a parent's worst nightmare. Because if, if somebody's got something, I don't want them to be, we want to get it, we want to get it. Little things mean a lot in a case like this. It's a big puzzle and a little piece could fit into something we already know. We know a lot uh, about what happened and we have a lot of information about a lot of uh, possible uh, uh, perpetrators and that kind of thing and, and we're uh, with science and some of this other stuff we're trying to make it happen and we're going to continue to do that. And we thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I'm Jonathan Martin. All new at noon, Cobb County prosecutors announcing just hours ago that they have solved a more than 50-year-old cold case. In 1972, nine-year-old Debbie Lynn Randall was abducted, sexually assaulted, and killed in Marietta while walking home from a laundromat. Her body was found weeks later near Windy Hill and Powers Ferry Road. Well, in just the last two hours, officials announced they have finally solved this case using genetic genealogy. They say William B. Rose of Mableton, who was just 24 at the time, is now responsible. They know he's responsible for Randall's death. He died by suicide two years after her murder. The answer we are providing today will not bring her back. and We can't extract justice from the perpetrator but I know he must answer to a higher power. Now, both of Debbie's parents have passed away, but her brother spoke this morning thanking detectives for their efforts in solving the case. We'll have much more from him and hear from him tonight coming up on 11 Alive News starting at 4 p.m. Hello and welcome to this week's special episode of Who Killed Amy Mahalovic? 
I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media, Evergreen Podcast, and Killer Podcast production. This week, there was a breakthrough in a case from 1972. Now, it was not Amy's case, but it is a case that provides some hope that Amy's case will one day still be solved. As all of you know who listen to the show, that this case is close to my heart, and this was a case of a 10-year-old girl who was lured by a phone caller to her abduction. And this happened on October 27th, 1989 in Bay Village, Ohio. And it was a very traumatic experience for the community that still kind of looms over the city to this day. And we are still looking for answers, but when you see cases like this get solved, it provides a glimmer of hope. So here's the press conference from the Atlanta case. We will hopefully have one of these one day for the case of who killed Amy Mihaljevic. At the age of nine years old, we offer our deepest condolences, condolences to the family of Debbie Lynn and our sincere gratitude to the detectives who worked on this case. On January 13, 1972, Debbie Lynn Randall, a third grade student at Pine Forest Elementary School, was walking home from the laundromat when she was abducted, raped, and killed. The laundromat was only a half block away from her home. She was found 16 days later after an extensive search from the community, which over 4,000 members participated. She was assaulted and strangled to death. We commend the Meredith Police Department who first responded to the scene 51 years ago. They collected the evidence and processed the scene meticulously. The preservation of that evidence from that day was instrumental in solving the case. As time went on, detectives followed up on hundreds of leads to no avail. The case eventually went cold. In October of 2001, the FBI conducted a forensic testing on the suspect's hair that was removed from the victim. Results ruled out many potential suspects. The field of forensic technology continued to improve, and in May of 2015, a piece of cloth recovered from the victim was sent to Sorensen Forensics for an updated DNA analysis. It resulted in a partial profile attributed to an unknown male. Thanks to the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council, which provided funds for additional DNA testing in 2019 that paved the way for additional investigation. This year, 2023, DNA Labs International was selected to conduct further testing to provide a SNPs profile. Using public records and police re resources, descendants of the suspect were identified. The family assisted in the investigation and sample DNA was provided for comparison. DNA evidence left on the victim in the familial DNA was a match. We exhumed the suspect's body for DNA testing to rule out any doubts. Debulin's parents died without knowing who killed their little girl. Her mother Juanita died of leukemia in 2018, and her father John passed away in January of last year. The answer we are providing today will not bring her back, and we can't extract justice from the perpetrator. But I know he must answer to a higher power and I hope it will provide some relief and answer the question that has lingered for more than 50 years. 
We have confirmed that William B. Rose of Mapleton was responsible for the death of Debbie Lynn Randall. He was 24 years old at the time of the crime and he committed suicide in 1974, just two years afterwards. We want to give special recognition to the Marietta Police Department who processed the crime scene and was proactive in recovering and maintaining the evidence. We could not have closed this case without it. The detectives who worked on the case then were retired Lieutenant Bill Hudson, the late Major Tim Buckley, Captain Bill Elliott, and Lieutenant Ray Owens. Many thanks to Investigator Ron Alter and retired CCPD Detective Morris Nix. Their persistence and commitment to seeking justice for Debbie Lynn's family was vital in bringing this case to a close. A message to murderers and rapists from our Cobb County law enforcement officers and the men and women of the district attorney's office. We will never relent in our efforts to bring you to justice. I would like to invite Melvin Randall, Debbie Lynn's older brother, to address you now. Hey, yeah, I would just like to let everyone know that was involved in the case that uh, my family appreciates everything they've done, all the time and effort that they've done to bring this to a close. I would like to say that I wish my mother was here, but I know she knows in heaven now that it's finally over. And we just want to say that we thank all of you for what you've done and uh, making this day come to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melvin. And that concludes our press conference. At this time, uh, we will take some questions if you all have any. Hunter? Uh, yeah, what um, specific evidence was used to link the DNA? Was that Bless you. Would you like to expand on that? Investigator Alter? Yes, the, the cloth was recovered from the body back in 1972, and through DNA analysis in 2015, then again in 2022 and 2023, we were able to connect William Rose. It was a piece of cloth that was found with the body. It was um, described as a circle, circular cloth with flowery print on it, so I'm not sure exactly where it came from. Yes, my name is Ron Alter. I'm an investigator with the Cobb County District Attorney's Office. Yes, what was the connection, if any, between William Rose and Debbie Lynn? Like, did they know each other at all? Was there any reason that these two would have come in contact with each other? They didn't know each other as best I can tell. Obviously, he was 24 years old and she was nine. He had um, family members that lived in the complex, so he was probably in the complex quite a bit. In um, talking with Mr. Randall, as children, they played outside a lot. There was a, a playground right near the laundromat where Debbie was last seen. So they were outside a lot. If he drove by, I'm sure he saw her. And I, I believe that as a crime of opportunity, he saw her by herself and he abducted her. Did he have a criminal background at all? Not a, not a major one. He um, he had arrested for alcohol-related incidents, and that's all. Was he ever investigated as a suspect in this case prior to the DNA match? He was not on our radar at all. Uh, can you, you come a little closer to the podium? <laughs> can you give us any indication what led up to Mr. Rose's suicide? Was it perhaps this particular case? Was he involved in something else? I mean, what do you know about that? I've spoken with some family members, and... Um, really speculatively, he was afraid of going to jail. They thought that he was afraid of getting in trouble for alcohol-related alcohol incidents. I think now we can look back and think this was a reason he was afraid of going to jail, but I don't, I don't know for sure. Do you think he was involved in any other cases, or do you think this may have been the only thing that uh, you guys can link him to? 
this is all that we're aware of. Can you speak more to the, the actual DNA international lab that is so crucial in this case? Sure. We used a, a process with them called um, Forensic Investigative Genealogy, which um, allowed us to, as, as I'm sure everybody's familiar, the Golden Gate Killer and that sort of thing, we used um, Ancestry-type databases, actually GEDmatch Pro and Family Tree DNA, which are open source ancestry sites. And using the information from there, we're able to make the connections with the family and narrow down our suspect. DNA Labs International? Yeah. They're in Deerfield Beach, Florida. Yes, sir. How was William Rose specifically identified without a uh, prior criminal record? Was this because a family member had contributed DNA to a public website? That's correct. A family member, a distant family member, contributed DNA, or actually multiple, contributed DNA to Family Tree and DNA or GenMatch Pro, which are the two open source sites for ancestry that law enforcement has access to. And genealogists with um, DNA Labs International were able to, to work through that so they got a, a, a narrower list of, of suspects. And from there, we interviewed people and um, worked our way to, to Mr. Rose. So you found them rather than somebody coming to you saying, I suspect that the family member might have been involved in this? That's correct. The family had no idea that he was involved. Thank you. Sir, can you speak to the quality of work of the crime scene investigators back then and maybe the advancement in technology today which finally led to this match? You know, when you think back on the available resources in 1972 and the things that, that um, forensic proce processors and everybody used, the fact that they recovered this evidence that had no real value then. I mean, they got hair from the cloth and they did their best with that, but that's all they had to work with. And the fact that they kept it and Marietta PD preserved it for all these years speaks volumes for them. Can you talk about the timeline? You said that you guys took the cloth, the cloth was sent back to the, the company in Deerfield Beach, Florida uh, earlier this year. How long did it take from that time until basically uh, you guys were able to identify the suspect as Mr. Rose? Too long. It's a long process. Um, I've been working on this case for a little over a year. And um, originally when I started, we were, we were working with um, YSTR evidence, which is another form of DNA, which was available from the processing that was done in 2015 and 2019, just because of the ability to evaluate the, the DNA profile that existed. Um, DNA Labs International had newer processes, so we discussed it, and they said, you know, we have the DNA DNA extract from what we've done in the past. We can try again with um, new technology. They call it Contelligence. It's working with SNP profiles and DNA, which I'm not going to claim to fully understand. But with that, they were able to get a, a better a better results, which enabled us to move forward. When did you send it to them, though? The original thing I sent to them was, I believe, in February of this year. What does this mean for future cases that are cold? I mean, the work that was done here, obviously, back in the 70s as far as gathering, but then now the technology new processes. What, what can you say as far as what this might mean for other cold cases? The, the FBI has created an interim policy dictating the way that we should use FTG. And in that policy, basically, we're, we're, we focus on unsolved crimes that have a CODIS profile that has not got hit. So everybody's familiar with CODIS, the um, Combined Online DNA Index that the FBI manages. And through that, so through CODIS, we can identify known offenders since there's a, a wide range of people that are now tested when they're convicted of crimes. When those resources don't work, then we can move on to the genealogy. So there's, there's a narrow focus on cases that have 
CODIS profiles without matches, and those are those where we're at. So I'm not sure what that number is, but that, that's basically where this technology. You do not get this opportunity every single day to uh, figure out a cold case, especially five decades old. I mean, this is obviously great for you guys to be able to finally give the family some uh, peace of mind closure of some sort Absolutely. Uh, after all these years. Absolutely. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, because, I mean, cold cases, I mean, sometimes they stay cold forever. They don't get solved. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what I I mean, yes, it's, it's very rewarding. I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. I know that, um, you know, Morris Nix is sitting over there. He's done a great deal of work on this case, and he's kept it alive and kept everybody interested. Um, I was hired to, to work cold cases through, through a grant that, that Kim McCoy was able to obtain. And when I first sat down and we talked about the work I was going to do, they pointed at this case. This is the case that we want to solve. We want to solve the Deborah Lynn Randall case. So, so I think all of us work together. It's a team effort, and, and law enforcement is a team effort. From the work that was done in 1972 when, when we recovered that evidence to the work that was done by Morris, Nix, and the cold case unit with the DNA they worked on till today. All of us, all of us work together, and all of us get to, get to feel happy that it was finally, finally done. Lynn, can you expand on that, about what it means for the community, uh, why it's important to spend these resources when the suspect is, is long gone as well? I think for all of us, um, you know, especially being a father of two, da two daughters, it's important that we do what we need to do to make sure our community is safe. And if anybody does an offense that causes us to feel unsafe, we need to do everything we can to bring that person to justice, not only for this community but for our families. Uh, it, it's important that we know that we live in a safe place and that those who do decide to do harm are going to be punished for it whether it's five months or 50 years. It's important for us to know that we are always going to seek justice. We're always going to do the right thing for our community. And as I said before, if you have committed a crime, we're coming after you. It may take us some time, but with the new technologies that are coming out every day, we're going to do everything we can to solve our cold cases to make sure we bring people to justice so we can give the answers to families like Mr. Randall. Talk about the need for increased grants in this particular case or increased funding from the local, state, federal level to continue to do this type of work? Uh, you're going to get me in trouble here. Uh, <laughs> um, there's an ever-escalating need for funds for criminal justice. There are so many different technologies coming out, so many different ways that we can solve crime, so many ways that we can prevent crimes, but they all involve money. And our goal um, as a government, as, as a district attorney's office, is to provide public safety, to do everything we can to make sure our community is as safe as possible. I told you before I had two daughters. One of them is only 22 months old. And I want her to grow up in a place where I know I can let her go out on the street and she can walk, she can play, she can enjoy her life without me having to worry about somebody trying to come and snatch her up, rape her, and kill her. That's why it's important that we expend those resources to do the things that we need to do to make sure our community is safe. Yes, ma'am. What does DNA testing of this nature cost? I know you said you got a, was it a grant from the Justice Coordinating Council? Um, did that pay for all of the amount? I don't think we know the exact amount. It is quite a, mu quite a bit of money. Um, because like in this case, um, it was a long process to get the SNP profile, to identify the family that it that belonged to, then to exhume the body to confirm that this was the young man that was um, who actually committed the crime. It's a long process that takes a lot of money. 
but I think in the end it's worth it because we provide answers to the families who are seeking those answers. Was this the oldest or one of the oldest cold cases in Cobb County? It is definitely one of the oldest, not the oldest. The family of Rose, were cooperative? Were they? They were very cooperative. Um, when we, when the DNA profile identified their family, they provided more family DNA to help us to um, identify the, the perpetrator here, which happened to be their brother. Yeah. Where was he buried? I don't know where he's buried at. So he was exhumed? Northeast Mariana. All right, at this time, we're going to close out the press conference. Thank you for attending. Thank you, everyone. And if you all like uh, additional information, and I know that some of you have requested pictures and one-on-one -on -one interviews, please hang out, and uh, we will get that sorted out for you. Thank you guys for tuning in to this week's press conference about the Cobb County cold case that was solved with the help of detectives and a lot of footwork, groundwork, and research. And they do plead for funds at the end of the press conference, at the beginning of the press conference, and it is one of those things that is definitely on the minds of a lot of officers in the investigative unit where they have these tests and they need the money to help support them getting those tested. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I drop new episodes Fridays. And until next time, stay healthy and be safe. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast. Carol Costello presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work but not this one, the one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.